eternal God, almighty and ever-living King of glory. We thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to be alive. We thank you for bringing us together in this holy sanctuary. Father, we invite you to take charge and take control. May the words that we speak and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, Holy Father, eternal God, now and forevermore. Amen. We thank God that we are alive today and we are here to listen and read from the Word of God and to meditate on the topic of today, postmodernism, relativism, sign of the end times. I must confess that when I saw this topic, I had reminiscent of my days as a student of philosophy at the University of Nigeria. And I thought it was quite an academic topic. Of course, I linked it with the academic stature of our vicar, the academic giant, who thought it wise that we grapple with this topic. I crave the grace of God to enable us to navigate through and be able to get one or two things from our discourse this morning. Praise the Lord. I must also say that the topic, as it were, gives me unfettered freedom to roam, as it were, through the scriptures. Because if you look at the other topics, some areas of scriptures were given. And that notwithstanding, we shall be making our main texts from the place we read this morning in um, the epistle. Because I consider that the gospel, as taken from St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, had to a great extent been dealt with by eminent theologians and scholars in this chapel. And I talk of the venerable professor, Chinedunebo, when he took us on expose on that chapter of the, of the gospel. So I will be concentrating, as it were, on the passage taken for the epistle which is in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But we will get to that. Maybe we will appreciate some concepts in the topic postmodernism, relativism, signs of the end times. Now we talk of modernism and then we take a leap to postmodernism. And modernism simply uh, explains or means that we do things as it were in a modern way that tends to subordinate primordial and traditional ways of doing things to the modern exigencies. Then postmodernism 
takes even a greater leap from modernism by being a kind of philosophy that focuses on skepticism, creating doubts, focuses on subjectivism. In other words, things are decided based on individuals and individual circumstances. It also focuses on relativism. You know, the, you view things from your prism as different from perhaps the way I view it. And so, they deny the possibility of objective truth or objective realism. In other words, things are looked at on the basis of the way I look at it, my circumstance, and the considerations that I put in there. So you discover that in today's society, postmodernism has essentially taken, you know, the form of relativism, where truth is said not to be objective, and things depend on the different circumstances, as we explained, of the individual. There is no universal objectivity, no absolute truth, or universal reality. So it boils down to saying that nothing, as it were, is absolutely bad or absolutely good. It depends on the thinking that you do of it. And as Shakespeare said, in uh, the popular book Macbeth, fair becomes foul, and foul becomes fair. And so, the end of anything will justify the means of getting there. When you look at classical political philosophers like Niccolo Machiavelli, that's a popular book he wrote called The Prince. And that is what you know, many dictators and many rulers used to justify their actions because they deny the objectivity of truth and they believe in relativity of truth. So, what you do depends on your circumstance, it depends on the conditions. So, this position appears to be at variance with the objective truths that we get, say, from the Bible, for instance. Because if there is a denial of objective truth, then there is a denial of the biblical truth that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Lord or to God except through him. That is in, Matthew, that is in John 14 verse 6. And so if this truth is denied, and people argue that Christ is not the only way. And religion becomes a matter of opinion. It is what people think that is the way, that for them is the way. And so various religions posit their positions. And this brings about the vexed issue of pluralism that we have. Which is an antithesis to the basic Christian teaching of an objective truth, an objective reality. 
Now we know, for instance, that sound morals as Christians are sound morals and moral standards predicated on sound metaphysics. Well, metaphysics is not a complicated abstract study. It is just an aspect of philosophy that studies the science of beings. And we as Christians believe that there is an absolute being who is the author of creations. And we as human beings are just tangential beings that participate in that absolute being, as it were. And that is why in Acts 17.28 we say that it is in him, in God, that we live and move and have our being. And without the underlying of that basic fact, then our existence is also queried. And so we cannot, like the relativists and the postmodernists will say, that things are relative. There's nothing that is bad, there's nothing that is absolute. Just like a liquid, or like liquid. If you pour it into a container, it takes the shape of that container. If the container is, is, is square in shape, it takes that shape. If it is spherical, it is the same thing. So, in other words, nothing for them is entirely bad. So, you will also recall that at creation, it was God making the pronouncements of creation that there be light, there was light, and all that, as recorded in, in Genesis. We also read in John 1, from verse 1 to 3, that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And there is nothing that was created that was not originated from it. That source of creation. And if you look at the universe generally, you look at the planets that move in their courses. You look at the way the night comes. The day follows. The seasons, the rains, the sunshine. And you discover that this perfect creation must be by a purposive perfect creator. And so people like St. Thomas Aquinas will bring out his doctrine that is known as the Thomistic proof of the existence of God a priori, I mean a posteriori. In other words, from the things we see, from the causes we see, from the seasons, from the harvest times, from the planting times, and all that, we see the faithfulness of God. We see the hands of a perfect creator in place. And so this could not be by any other means. We cannot say there are also creators apart from God. Because people make or invent certain things in the sciences, like, like the atomic bombs, like um, the North Korea testing their systems, their missiles, and so on. And uh, the threats 
of mass destruction in various parts of the world. We cannot therefore say that man is able to make these little inventions based on the overall knowledge given to him by the purposive creator that he is now the creator as it were. So what are we saying? If God is the author of nature, God also is the author of natural law, of things, of the way we conduct ourselves, the way we live, the way we are able to participate as tangential beings in that absolute being that God is. So how do we do it? Because it is from the law of nature that has objective moral standards, moral content, which is comprehended by human reason and which is applicable to all human beings. That is where we begin to derive what we call the natural rights. And these natural rights apply to all human beings everywhere they are and at all times. We take, for instance, the law of God given to us in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, if we take verses 13 to 17, we'll see some laws, just as examples. For instance, at verse 13, you will see, Thou shalt not kill. It is a law that preserves life, the sanctity of human life. And for us in Nigeria, we are lucky to have in our constitutional jurisprudence a section that says that guarantees right to that life. We have right to life in section 33 of our constitution. Now, but how do we cope with these laws of God without bringing in the basic human weakness of self-justification? I'll give you an instance. For instance, does right to life apply to human fetus? Does it affect the right of a woman's reproductive rights, as it were, to decide on whether an abortion should be committed or it should not? Does life get attached to a human being? From the time of conception or from the time of birth. So these are issues that bring in the vexed problem of situation ethics. And so you, you find that some activists, particularly the gender activists, will say that it is their right to decide whether they want to go on to give birth or whether they will commit abortion and terminate a pregnancy. Some say that human fetus does not exist. That mere conception does not guarantee life. And life takes place after birth. These are issues of extreme relativism. And these are postmodern ideas that tend to distort the purposive nature of creation and of God. And so it also brings us back to what we are saying. You know that in these days, for instance, apart from the fact that we now have what we call the anti-gay law, anti-same-sex law, whereby a man cannot be married to a man 
and a woman cannot be married to a woman, you still find some rights activists who insist that homosexuality and lesbianism are expression of rights of man. And you begin to wonder, where is the foundation of this right? Are they in accordance with the laws of God? Even us as Christians, we know that in Romans chapter 1, if you read from verse 18 down, but if you go particularly to verses 26 and 27, you will find a clear condemnation of such practices. And yet, some still insist it is a right. The foundation of all rights of man is in nature, the natural law. And so whatever is not in accordance with that law of God, which is the natural law, is not a human right. And But if we continue to press that, and to say that it depends on the situations in which we find ourselves, that we, we are invariably saying that there is no law of God, there is no objective reality, that fair is foul, and foul is fair, and that what justifies that what justifies um, our end that the, our end justifies the means through which we attain it, and these become dangerous philosophical postulations that we have. Now, in our country today, in Nigeria, we know that there are issues of corruption. Issues of protracted litigation. I am not too sure that Christians are not part or do not participate whether advertently or inadvertently in corruption. I am not too sure that all those names that are mentioned with respect to corruption are all of other religions or are agnostics that don't even believe in the existence of, uh, of God. Because many of them bear Christian names, even though they, they may not be Christians in the real sense of it. Well, at least they were baptized in the church, they go to church, they listen to the gospel. And they leave the church. In their positions, what do they do? For those of us that go to court regularly, you will discover that people will go and litigate on a property that they know is not their own. Somebody else's property, because he's less privileged or he doesn't have means, a man of wealth goes to seize that property and take the matter to court and dump it there. So that for the next 10 to 20 years, the matter is stalled. Nothing is happening. If we do so, are we still following the law of God that says we should not kill? Are we not killing somebody indirectly by so doing? And justifying ourselves with the relative thesis that the situation in which we find ourselves and the prism with which we consider the circumstances justify what we do. And we covet our neighbor's properties. So these are things that offend the law of nature. 
And so in these last days, we are in perilous times. That is what the scriptures say. So quickly, we will look at the place where we read the epistle of today. And that is in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll read from verse 1. We may get up to verse 7. Can somebody help us to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1? That will be a terrible time in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without Without self-control, brutal, Lord lovers of God, treacherous, rash, concerted, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godless but letting it power, having nothing to do with them. They are the kind of, they, they are the kind whom, who warm their way into homes and gain control over weak, weak women who are loaded down with their sin, with sins, and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as just as James and Jambres oppose Moses, so also these men oppose truth. Men of depraved minds who as who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected but they are not but they will not get very far because as in the case of those men their folly will be clear for everyone. Thank you. Praise the Lord. This is a vivid picture of what is transpiring in our society of today. Men being lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, ever learning, but never ever grabbing anything. Just as we said, like, like the case of corruption, for instance. Those people go to church, they listen to sermons, they go out, but from their conduct, you discover that they have learned nothing from the lessons that flow from the church. I think at this stage, I will pause and share a video clip that was shared by our mommy, Dr. Mrs. Ruby Ike, on, on WhatsApp. In a certain primary school, the pupils were to take the common entrance examination. And you know, they were required to bring passport photographs for the exam. So the headmaster or headmistress of the school got a photographer to take the photographs. So the photographer told uh, the head teacher that she will charge the sum of 100 naira per student, per pupil. Then the head teacher said, ah, no, that is too much. We have about 500 pupils in this 
school who are going to write this exam. Why don't you take 50? So the photographer laughed and said, okay, if you're up to 500, I will take 50. So she, she gladly left, as it were. Then the head teacher summoned the teacher in charge of um, the class, the final year people who were to take the entrance exam. And he said, tell the students that they should each come with 150 naira for the passports. The teacher now went to the students and relayed the message. And said, the headmaster or headmistress said I should tell you to come with 200 naira for the passport photographs tomorrow. At the end of uh, classes, the students left, went home. And one of them, a small child, told the mother, because the father wasn't back then, that they said in our school, auntie said that we are to bring 300 naira each for the passport. Can you imagine the graduation of corruption? Now the mother said, okay, your father is not home yet. When he comes home, I will let him know. So she smiled and said, thank you, mommy. She already knew perhaps 100 naira will be for her. When the father of the house came back, the wife of all people told him, well, your daughter came back and said that the school is asking for 500 naira for the passport photograph for the common entrance exam. The man obviously was angered. And he said, uh-uh. Only passport photograph. How can that happen? I will go to that school and I will know why they should take 500 naira per student for the photo, passport photograph. Then the, the wife retorted and said, look at you. You want to go to school. Are you the only person? You won't be happy that your daughter is taking common entrance. Common 500 naira. You won't give. So, the man now said, her. Things are getting out of hand in this country. Eh? This is our president, Buhari. Since he took over, everything is getting bad. In fact, that we must know what to do about it too. So, can you see how depraved the society is turning? And we lay the blames on the president. Will you say that the president is responsible for the scenario that we have painted right now? He may not even be aware that students are contributing money. But you can see the way our society has gone. It is depravity. And the annoying thing is that there is justification in doing that. And that's a human weakness of that self-justification. People will love money. They will boast. They will betray others. They will ever be learning without coming to a knowledge of what the truth is. And that is the danger of the society we find ourselves in. There is also a drama that is going on um, on one of the radio stations. In fact, in that, a man was appointed the minister of works. His wife was obviously basking in the euphoria of being a minister 
a minister's wife. How much more the juicy ministry of works and housing. And so she will attend and blush in, the, in our meetings with friends and so on. So the friends were making demands of her. As you get them contracts, as you should uh, tell the husband and all that. The woman continued to press the husband to compromise standards and get money out as a minister of works. The man was a man of conviction. He told the wife, but you know I will not do that. I'm a Christian. I cannot compromise because I'm minister. Meanwhile, the party chairman that nominated that man into that position was also putting pressure. Now he has not been making contributions to the party. He has not been making contributions to those who put him in that position. And that if he does not take time, he will be kicked out. At a time, the man came to their house. On the wife's insistence, the wife planned a party for the party chairman without the knowledge of the husband. Just to massage his ego and help use his pressure to put pressure on the husband to compromise standards. The man still refused. And so the party chairman left in anger and threatened that the man was to be replaced. The man decided that he would resign and resigned that appointment. The wife was so unhappy and began to turn the house into an uncomfortable place for the man. In fact, on one occasion, because of the promptings of her friends, she had to take a client's money that her husband, an engineer, was using to erect a building for, for the clients. And you know what he did with the money, what she did with the money? To use it to buy expensive jewelry to enable her attend one of uh, the lavish parties of one of her friends whose daughter was uh, celebrating marriage or stuff like that. And you see, that is the kind of society that we are in. And her justification continued to be that other people do it. And that even if the man does not take money, that people's perception is that everybody in government takes money. So why don't you take money? And those are the kind of things that confront people in positions of responsibility and people in uh, personal interactions. And when you want to profess your basic Christian teachings, your basic foundation as a Christian, people will threaten you with all sorts of um, victimization and so on. Now, but the assurance that we have is that amid all these changing circumstances, all these distortion of objective reality, if we hold on to our faith, if we hold on to our faith, then we shall be saved and we shall be victorious. Can somebody quickly look at St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, particularly at verse 13. 
Matthew 24, verse 13. Yes. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Yes. Thank you. So the hope we have is to persevere. In fact, if you read from verse 10, you'll find that a lot of betrayals, a lot of all sorts of fake people will come with all manner of doctrines, like the relativists, like the postmodernists, all in a way to dissuade us from that objective focus and objective reality that we have. We will even be subjected to all kinds of persecution on grounds of Christian beliefs. As I told you, for instance, the, the minister of works in the drama that we just narrated. So, but if we are able to hold on to our faith, if we are able to be a light that will continue to shine, then we shall be saved. So finally, by way of conclusion, we will say that as we prepare in this our journey to meet our Lord, our God, as we prepare to meet Him, we take solace in the fact that God has given an assurance of those who persevere and those who hold on to their convictions. Now where we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if we look at verses 17 and 18, it enjoins us to hold on to the word of God because it is profitable. It is profitable for doctrine. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The scriptures is all complete. When we hold on to it, no matter the circumstance that confronts us, there is always an answer, a guidance from the book. And so for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, we have the word of God. That the man of God may be perfect. So if we say we truly profess God as our Lord and Savior. And we hold on to him. For us to be made perfect. And thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We must hold on uncompromisingly. To that objective reality, to that objective truth, to that natural law of God, to the teachings of the Holy Scriptures, because it is complete in itself and gives us a way to existential worries and confront our existential realities. And so we must shun the doctrine of postmodernism and relativism, even as we are in these end times and in the last days that we have perilous times, if we hold on, we shall eventually overcome.
and we shall be victorious. Praise the Lord. And so this morning, because we are not perfect and we strive to perfection, because our God is a God that is capable of doing all things, visiting us in whatever circumstance and situation we find ourselves, we look at our lives and we say, have we in any way fallen short of his glory? Have we advertently or inadvertently offended against God and his holy laws or against our fellow human beings? Or perchance we have not thought it wise to even turn ourselves and our worries unto Christ. This is our opportunity to do so. If we have done so in the past and perhaps we have come short of his glory. God is magnanimous in mercy. He is slow to anger. He is there to receive us and to abundantly pardon us. Provided we will turn away from our shortcomings and our wickedness. And embrace his light and his righteousness. If we are ready to do so. If we are ready to do so. And we are convinced we are. He will give us the enablement and the grace to stand. So those who want to rededicate themselves or recommit themselves or commit themselves for the first time, as it were, as we pray, we will plead with you to kindly stand so that our venerable can pray for you and you will be restored back. Even those who have given their lives to God. But perhaps on your way coming to church, you had an encounter with a rough driver. And you in anger said, oh, look at this idiot. Oh, how can this madman drive like this? You can still tell God, please remove that anger from my heart. And restore to me the joy of your salvation. Let us pray. We're praying before the Lord and you're asking the Lord to forgive you. You have strayed from his ways because of what men say and practice. You have believed that there is nothing absolutely good. There's no one way to God only. There is nothing absolutely bad. It depends on the way you see it. It depends on how things turn out. And that's how your life has been living. And you find that in many other places, the word of God is no longer your guide and your great. And this morning, you are saying, Father, I'm sorry. I want to return to the path of rectitude, the path of righteousness, the path of obedience to your word. That's what we are saying. That message is saying also, that because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will begin to grow cold. And they will begin no longer to be as holding to the fast of the Lord as they used to. First Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. And remember the profession which you have professed before many witnesses. Are you deviating? Are you going back? 
Are you in any way following the world? Have you begun to lack even that same grip and depend on the opinion of men? Tell the Lord I am sorry. And that's what this message is asking you about. Are you still holding firm to the anchor? And this morning, you may be here. And you know your life has not been that which pleased the Lord in any way. The Spirit of God is saying, you came here this morning, so that that garment filled with the standards that the world had applauded, with the standards that you had desired all along, but does not meet God's way, that you can repent of them, and he will have mercy on you, and he will have peace. You have been loaded with a lot. And here is the time to relieve the garment that is stained with sin. Stained with iniquity. Stained with every form of impurity. That's why we are praying. And if as we are praying, the Lord is telling you, My son, give me your life. My daughter, give me your life. Harden not your heart. This is the time that God accepts. Don't postpone it any further. Wherever you are now, just kindly raise one of your hands. Let's pray together. Father, I don't want to just go with what the crowd is saying. I don't want to just keep heaping on my own ways of life. I'm convinced I want to repent and turn to you. Forgive me of my past. Just raise your hand where you are. Let us pray together. And let the Lord bring a cleansing. And let the Lord steady you. On the path to eternity. Anyone, just raise your hand where you are. And do not argue. And let the power of God make manifest his grace upon your life. Heavenly Father, we plead with you. We ask of you. The Lord Almighty, as we have heard this word. And that is what the civilized world is living on now. That is what Nigeria is catching on now. That is people who are educated and who have gone further in research, in education. They say there is no God. They say there is no absolute standard. They say there is no right way of doing things. They say there is no right way of marriage. They say there is no right way of keeping in conscience. They say there is no right way of being and behaving in office. It depends on the way you look at it. It depends on what you feel about it. It depends on how it profits you. Lord, and Father, we say, and these are the things you said will be happening in these end times. And these are what we are living in. Father in heaven, in the ways in which we are already being involved consciously, in the ways in which we are already being eating it, in our hands, in our legs, in our involvement, in our associations, in our discussion. This morning, O oh God, we ask for your forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask that you cleanse us, O oh God, of our past, and that you draw us back unto you in the name of Jesus Christ. That we look unto Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Oh, for the joy of the crown that was laid ahead of him, also suffered the shame, stood on, resisted the crowd, resisted the popular opinion, and even though he was nailed on the cross, now he is at the right hand side of God, even in glory. May we also remain steadfast in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Give us the grace to remain fighting the good fight of faith, remaining in the path of righteousness, not being pulled to the right or left, and tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, and by every wind of deceit, and by every show of affluence, and by every show of prosperity, that do not meet with your standard. Almighty God, steady us, O God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Help us to fight the good fight of faith, and keep us laying hold on eternal life, remaining strongly on you, anchored in you, anchored in your word, never shifting, never stepping to the right or left, in the name of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray. May none of us be caught as we advance in our positions, as we advance in our learning, as we advance in our offices, as we advance in knowledge, may we not advance unto what is the trend now. Unto relativism. Unto joining because there is nothing really wrong in the things that you do not approve. Father, may our consciences remain strong. May they remain keyed on you. May our convictions remain shouting. And may they remain strongly etched on you. And may our confession of faith remain clear. Approved of heaven and also retained of men. Did this in our lives, O God. And keep us a remnant that will endure to the end. And our salvation will be secure. In Jesus' name we pray.